Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Come on now, I think that deserves one more round of applause. Are you kidding me? So appreciative of everybody this morning who participated in making music for us to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so fortunate to have who we have here at Villa's Grace. I am just thrilled to death to be part of the team that I believe that we are. As I look at everybody collectively, we all play a role somehow, some way. And to be part of that and to continue to learn how to be part of that is just truly amazing. I'm blown away that the Lord is doing what he's doing with us here. And as we sit here this morning, we are finishing our series in 2 Peter. We have come to the end of our sermon series titled The Church Under Siege with the tagline, Let us not be fooled. Let us not be fooled. Really, what we're saying there is this. Let us know the good news of salvation. Let us know the gospel. Because the better we get to know the gospel, the better we can be on guard. Let's keep that in mind as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what we see you doing in this world despite all the negativity and things that go on that would be contrary to you and your goodness. Despite all of these things that we witness, you are still at work. Use us, Lord. Use us to share your good news of salvation with others. We can take the message of Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection to those that you have placed in our lives. Open doors and prepare hearts for your message of salvation. Use us to do that. We pray everything that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start off by just asking a real simple question, but it really kind of gets to the heart of the issue. And that question is this. What is the main purpose of your life? Have you ever thought about that? What is the main purpose of your life? What is the most important thing to you in your life? If you had to answer that question, what would it be? What would you reveal to us? Now, most of us know that Major League Baseball has always been considered America's pastime. But the problem with Major League Baseball is they've been losing traction over the years. Baseball's not as popular today as it was 25 years ago. And the MLB recognized that this trend was going on, so what did they do? They had to reignite a passion for the game. They had to reignite a desire for the game. So what do you do? Well, of course, you go get with the marketing team. And you ask the marketing team, 
What can we do to reignite the passion surrounding the game of baseball? Ah, they came up with an idea. What was it? The slogan, I live for this. See, if you say you live for this, really what you're saying is, this is my life's main purpose. This is the most important thing to me. So, what is your life's main purpose? What is it that you actually live for day in and day out? Maybe through a tragic event, you believe you live for nothing. Let's face it, there's those of us that feel like that. We have nothing to live for. See, whether or not we feel like that, the, the truth is we actually all have something to live for. So it's really just a matter of, are we living for the right thing? And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. We're, we are in 2 Peter chapter 3. Like I had mentioned previously, this is the final sermon in our series as we've gone through verse by verse through all of 2 Peter. Today specifically we're in chapter 3 and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18. Last week we learned that the promised return of Jesus will one day put an end to all of our anxieties and all of our struggles. We were reminded that God will judge and destroy a world that in which culture is trying to save. Why? Because culture loves the creation more than the Creator. We were encouraged by the fact that our biggest blessing in our lives, when we want to say we live a blessed life, well, you know what our biggest blessing is? Our biggest blessing is the Lord's patience. His being patient with us prior to His judgment. That's a blessing. Today we're going to be encouraged in how to live our lives on this earth, this life, on this earth, in its present state. And we're going to see our motivation for doing so. So please, you can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. We are in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Since all of these are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are, ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things. 
There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we can sum them into this one sentence. And that sentence is this. The future of this world and beyond should motivate us to live for Jesus today. The future of this world and beyond. The beyond is the universe. This world and the entire universe should motivate us to live for Jesus today. Because of this world's future. Because of this universe's Future. We should be motivated right here, right now, to live for Jesus. Between 1892 and 1954, 12 million immigrants passed through Ellis Island. 12 million. I've always heard the story of my grandfather coming over in the 1920s. And then we found his actual registry where he signed through DNA testing and doing the ancestry that we've done. And it's so cool to see this. A lot of us can relate to this as Americans. We're a country that's so diverse. We have relatives that immigrated into this country. I think if we all trace back our lineage, we would find that we are immigrants. But why come to the USA? Why the United States of America? Why did my grandfather choose to leave Belgium and jump on a just to come to the United States? Why? Well, I think that's answered with one very simple word. And that word is this, opportunity. That's why. Church, we are immigrant status on this earth. We're awaiting immigration to our permanent home. That's what we're awaiting right now. And this is precisely what we see in verses 11 through 14. Starting with verse 11. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the, com the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. What are all things that are thus to be dissolved? What are they? The heavens and the earth. See, now that you actually see that we're, we're immigrants, right? We're immigrants on this earth. 
We are sojourners on this earth. We recognize that our residency is temporary here. This is not our only life. Thank you. Thank you. My best life is not now. It is yet to come. He has to do it. God is going to melt, liquefy, undo, break up, disconnect all physical matter as we know it. And since this is true, we must ask ourselves some questions. What's the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of my life? Again, what is it that I live for? What is it that you live for? Ask yourself, how do I want to live out the remainder of my time on this earth? The remainder. I'm not talking about going to the past and redoing and changing things. How do I want to live out the remainder of my time on this earth? Or as Peter put it in verse 11, what does he say? He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Church, we should be expecting, not like Pregnancy expecting, nothing like that. I'm not trying to like, get on a church growth program that includes pregnancy, except the Shifonis are doing a pretty good job so far. <laughs> Pastor Jared's like, more grandbabies, more grandbabies. <laughs> we should be expecting. We should be anticipating. What does it say there? Anticipating the day of God. So, what does verse 12 say about the heavens? What does verse 12 say about the heavens? They will be set on fire. What does verse 12 say about the heavenly bodies? That they will melt as they burn. Basically, all physical matter is going to be melted, liquefied, undone, broken up, and disconnected. How do we know that God has it in him to do this? How do we know that he has it in him to actually do what he's telling us that he's going to do? He's judged on a massive scale before. See, the first time he judged, it was with water. You remember Noah, right? However, there is a question we should be asking. Not so much how, but why? Why is God going to do this to his creation? Why? He's doing this to his creation because he can't allow sin to take up permanent residence within it. All of this will happen on the day of God. See, the day of God must happen in order for us to enjoy eternity, which is why it says in verse 13 that we are waiting for new heavens and new earth because this eternal state is where righteousness dwells. I, I don't know about you, but I see limited righteousness dwelling here on earth today. I didn't say it doesn't dwell. I just said limited. 
This is our hope. To live in an eternal state where righteousness dwells. This is our future. So do you know what we need to do? Since that is our hope, as it says in verse 14, be found by Him without spot or blemish. Who's Him? Who is it that we're going to be found by? Jesus. That's who. See, this is a reference to the day of the Lord. We've had clearly in verse 12 a reference to the day of God. But now Peter's referencing the day of the Lord. So what's the difference between the day of the Lord and the day of God? We know that the day of God is the final, perfect, eternal state. That's when God destroys earth as we know it, the heavens as we know it, and creates new heavens, new earth. That's the day of God. That's the eternal state. The day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back to judge prior to. Church, what's the final thing from verse 14 that you should be found practicing in your own life each and every day? There's something from verse 14 that you should be found each and every day practicing, knowing that Jesus is coming first to judge prior to the day of God. The one thing that we should be found practicing, knowing that, is peace. Despite all the negativity, despite all the drama, despite all the conflict, despite all the disunity, despite how sick and sad this world is, nothing will get us down. Do you know why? Nothing. Because we will be at peace when Jesus comes back to judge this world. Ask yourself the question, am I at peace now? If Jesus returned today, right here, right now, would I be found at peace? Do I act as though I'm at peace with Jesus in His return? Would those closest to me, those who know me well, those who really know who I am, let's face it, would they say, I'm at peace? Church, when you're ready for Jesus to come back, you're really being motivated to live for Him now. When you're ready for Jesus to come back, you're primed and motivated to want to live for Him now because of what's promised in the future. That's our motivation. And after all, don't most sports teams practice before the game? The game isn't, we have, we're not even playing the game yet. And I think that's the problem with most Christians. They think that they just come to a saving faith in Jesus and one day I'm going to be in heaven. We have to start preparing or when we receive eternal life. That's how we need to look at each and every day. We're awaiting upon the Lord for 
Him to establish what He has prepared for us. Which brings us to our very first point this morning. And our first point is this. Our only hope for peace is the coming, or is God's coming judgment. Our only hope for peace is God's coming judgment. And I know that sounds ridiculous to a non-believer who would say, are you telling me that God's going to liquidify, He's going to melt this earth and all of the cosmos? And by Him doing so, we find peace in that? I say yes. Yes. He has to. He has to do this. Because right now, sin is an illegal alien in His creation. And our hope is where, you know, that place where righteousness dwells. That's my hope. I want to remind you of our main point this morning, and that is this. The future of this world and beyond should motivate us to live for Jesus today. That's our, our take-home. We don't want to forget that as we leave here this morning. A lot of crazy things going on in politics. I'm not getting political whatsoever right now. So whoever your favorite president is, that's their podium. Okay? If it was a former president, in your mind, just say, hey, that was... President so-and-so's podium. If the current president's your favorite president, that's their podium. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter who your favorite president is, they're all the same. They all have a press secretary, don't they? They all have somebody who is designated to speak on their behalf. Now, the press secretary is not the president. The press secretary only says what the president wants him or her to say. They do take some questions and they have answers, but ultimately their job is to be the spokesperson for the president. Church, we are spokespeople too. However, who and what we speak for is much more noble, much more significant, and Definitely everlasting compared to the White House. Because contrary to popular belief, nobody ever guaranteed that the White House is always going to be there. Nobody ever guaranteed that we're always going to be a country. But God did guarantee that we are His forever and get to dwell with Him in that place where, what, righteousness dwells? We're like the press secretaries for Jesus. And let's take a look at this in our final verses here in chapter 3, 15 through 18. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and, those, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Okay. 
So we know that our only hope for peace is found in God's judgment. We understand that. We get that at this point. And we know that God's patience in judging His creation is really opportunity. Just like our relatives, our ancestors came here as immigrants for this opportunity that was better than what they had in their former country, the Lord's patience for us is opportunity as well. But with that being said, how do we know that all of this is true? How do we even know that all of this is true? Well, look where it says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. When we see it say, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation, we understand that while God is practicing patience, we need to be out there being his press secretary. His patience is our opportunity to be his spokesperson. Thank goodness he's delayed the day of God. Thank goodness he's delayed the day of the Lord. Think about all those who still have a chance to repent of their sin because he has. And the most beautiful thing is he can use us in that opportunity to share his good news. And before Jesus returns in God's judgment at the end, we have this ample opportunity. So now, if we go back and understand that our overarching theme of 2 Peter is the church under siege, if we're saying, let us not be fooled, we need to know why. Why is the church under siege? Who is it under siege by? What are we not to be fooled by? I know we've been talking about false teachers, but they are influencing the church. And it's fitting to see what we see then in verses 16 through 18. Peter's going to end these last three verses by touching on our overarching theme. And to me, verses 16 through 18 indicate that we'll never stop learning the gospel. First, in verse 16, Peter says this about Paul. What does he say? He says, as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. We should be so encouraged by this statement. Now, some of us might look at it and be like, I can relate to this. I've read the Bible, and I don't know what I'm reading. It's confusing. It's hard. No matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, this should encourage all of us. It should encourage us because God's Word should challenge us at all stages of our growth. However, no one should ever twist God's word. If we're God's press secretaries, then those who twist God's word reveal that the enemy, our adversary, has his own press secretaries too. Church, do you see what's going on? Do you recognize what's going on here? If we're trying to make best use of our time while God is patient, if we're trying to do that, then our adversaries' minions are too. 
What I'm about to say is extremely important. And I still have much to learn about this. I have much growth. I am nowhere even close. But what I'm about ready to say is the complete opposite of what I would have said five years ago. See, I'm not as concerned about individual false teachers as much as I am about those individuals who are actually listening to them. See, I used to concern myself with those who I would say are heretics, who are twisting God's word. Maybe even name them by name. Name organizations by name. But the Lord has make it, made it abundantly clear to me that it's not about them, it's about those who are listening to them. And that's our opportunity. That's when we have the opportunity to be spokespeople for Jesus. I don't care about the false teachers. They were here yesterday, they're here today, and they'll be here tomorrow. In fact, they're going to be around until God puts an end to it all. We worry about the people. And the Lord has put people in your life that you have an opportunity to share, to be a press secretary for. And this is why Peter writes in verse 17, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Do you see what Peter is saying? He's telling us, be on guard. Living for Jesus is as much about anticipating his return as it is about being on guard until he does. Don't trust a teacher just because they use Scripture. Don't trust a teacher just because they use Scripture. And a lot of you will tell me that, hey, I listen to so-and-so on the radio, I listen to this on the TV. Great. But don't trust them just because they use Scripture. See, you need to trust somebody when they're preaching God's word. When you get the sense that the way in which they're preaching God's word, you realize that their stability, which you see the word here in the text, when you realize that their stability is only found in Jesus. Now, verse 18 indicates that we'll never stop learning the gospel as well. And as I get into verse 18 and close out this morning, I'm going to call Mike up. Verse 18, as we close this series and we examine this verse, I'm going to, to read it in its entirety. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, we've all been encouraged to take advantage of God's patience. I think we understand that that's a true blessing in our lives. We can do this by anticipating the hope found in His judgment. We can do this by being His press secretaries, 
but how can we effectively share the gospel with others? Because I know that there's those of us here this morning that would say, this sounds great. I want to go out there and share Jesus. The only problem is I don't really know how. Do you know what I think's wrong with most Christians who share the good news? I think we have a problem. See, when most of us go out and share the good news, the problem is we tell other people how much they need Jesus. That's a problem. We kind of look at people and say, let me tell you how much you need the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's completely ineffective, but I think we're missing the other side of what's really, truly important. See, we're really good at telling other people how much they need Jesus, but yet we forget how much we need Him too. When you grow in grace, as it says here in the text, you realize that you need Him more and more each day. How desperately you need Christ sometimes is more effective when we show that to somebody else than telling other people what Jesus will do for them. So really, it's more of a matter of us growing in this grace that we see here in the text and, and, and displaying and showing the growth that's going on currently in our own lives for others to see. And we can say, hey, the, these changes that you happening, but they're happening because of what Jesus is doing for me currently. If we can live like that, that's a very effective way to share the good news. And the, an ineffective way to share the good news is just to hit somebody over the side of the head and say, you need Jesus. An effective way is to live our lives in such a way that people understand and see that his stability or her stability, that, that's only coming because they know Jesus. Because I'm realizing more and more each day how unstable I am. I've never in my life thought about my mortality being one split sec second decision away from happening. The older I get, it's amazing. I need Jesus. We all need Him. We never stop needing Him. We never stop learning why we need Him. A transformed life should be on display for others to see, and then they say, I want that too. And if you notice why that's so effective, well, think about what we've really been talking about this whole time. What's to come, right? What's to come? We're talking about the future. We're not talking about the past. We're talking about the future, and we're talking about the future in such a way we're going to allow it to tell us how to live today. That's power. We know the future. The rest of the world doesn't. And one thing we can never forget in light of all this, we are not a finished product yet. We aren't. But eventually we will be. And this is why Peter ends by saying this. He says, to him, to him be glory of both now and to the day of eternity. Church, we must live for Him now. 
by first anticipating his return and by secondly being on guard against false teachers. And finally, we can live for him now by sharing with others how he has transformed our lives. And this brings us to our second and final point, which is we are spokespersons for Jesus who anticipate his arrival while guarding against falsehood. We are spokespersons for Jesus who anticipate his arrival while guarding against falsehood. The main idea that we had this morning that ties all these verses together is this. The future of this world and beyond should motivate us to live for Jesus today. We know the future. We know what God's going to do. We understand that it's not worth saving this life. Nothing in this life is going to make it out. But if we have faith in what Jesus has done for us, we receive new bodies, never having been tainted by sin. And we can dwell in that place, you remember, right? The place where righteousness dwells, that's our future. That's our hope. That's the message that we take to the world. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, the encouragement that it brings. Even in the midst of seeing things within your word that are hard for us to deal with or hard to understand, why are you doing what you're doing? But Lord, I just pray that we're encouraged because we know that our hope is only found in you. Help us share that message with others. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.